Uh, we'd love to have you take out your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, Exodus chapter 20. If you need a Bible, there are red ones provided for you. Uh, should be in the row you're in. And Exodus chapter 20, you'll find on page 69 of those red Bibles. And while you're turning there, I want to talk about a miracle that God has done among us as a church. And we have witnessed this miracle. Uh, it hasn't been like a sort of a one-time thing. It's been a three-year miracle that we have experienced in this initiative called Ignite, uh, where we have sort of set out on a journey feeling God's nudge to take a risk into an unknown future as journey um, across all three campuses and set out on this initiative to raise resources to uh, enhance um, our, our hearts, to ask God to ignite our hearts, to ignite our presence in the local community and our future. I think somebody's mic is on. Is that? I was worried somebody's going to go to the bathroom or something. There we go. Um, it's, it's one of a pastor's biggest fears, right? Is the mic off? I'll tell you some funny stories sometime if you wanted to ask me. But this, this miracle that we have seen um, and have gotten to be a part of, of participating in God's mission through the church, it ignites. And, uh, and so before we get into the teaching for the morning, I want to just take a couple of minutes and, uh, and sort of highlight this, ways in which God has ignited our hearts, our presence, and our future. Uh, Ignite formally ended at the end of 2017. So December 31st, Ignite came to an end. And uh, I want to be able to just celebrate a little bit, looking back about what God has done. It's important for the church to take some time to, to celebrate God's goodness, uh, December Ignite contributions were over $51,000. $51,558 came in in December. And so just like this incredibly strong month uh, to end the year and to end Ignite as a three-year initiative. That brings our total for, for all three years to just over $2 million. Um, and sometimes it, it can feel weird to be like, to celebrate, because it's like, well, this is something that we've been able to, to, to do, and it's not. It's not something that we have been able to do, because $2 million is bigger than any one of us, and it's actually bigger than all of us. It is God providing through his people and inviting his people to participate in it. And so I think it's important for the church to celebrate stuff like this. And so uh, one of the ways we're celebrating here at this campus is uh, we have some, have some food out in the Fellowship Center. And so if you haven't gotten any yet, you can run out there really quickly because they're probably going to clean it up before the end of the service. Howard left this year, which I'm really surprised by because normally when Howard sees fruit, he kind of goes crazy about it. Um, in fact, Howard is so healthy, he eats the banana peels and everything. He's like, there's nutrients in there. He's one of the, no, it's not true. Howard's so healthy, his New Year's resolution was to eat more donuts. Uh, just, I got to stop being so healthy. So we want to celebrate today uh, a little bit. Um, so, yeah. One of, the, well, one, of the, one of the cool things to just kind of look back and to say, oh God, this is amazing, is that the amount that was contributed to Ignite over the last few years was a quarter of a million dollars more than was pledged initially. Over $250,000 more came in over three years than we initially said as we prayed and said, God, here, here's what we want to be able to give. Uh, just God's provision in amazing ways. And I hope you've experienced this. I, I hope that as you, as an individual or as a family, have, have felt God's nudge, um, you know, and have, have participated in whatever way, 
that God had asked you to participate, if you were faithful to that, that you felt God's blessing and faithfulness to you in it. Uh, so it's a beautiful thing to get to partner with God in his generosity toward us. And so as we end Ignite formally, um, we have a couple of things that just, they do, they, they raise a little bit of tension. Like in the middle of the celebration, we have uh, on one hand, and, and those of you who have been uh, around and kind of paying attention, you realize we have some, some debt left over at the end of Ignite. And we kind of knew that we would uh, going into it. We knew Ignite was a bit of a stepping stone. And so we have or $868,000 of debt remaining at the end. And so we, we feel that. That's a reality. And um, we also have unfinished projects that uh, at our McPherson campus, and again, we knew that we would, McPherson campus, they have a lot of empty space uh, and they actually have, have people that are waiting to move into that space, kids that are waiting to move into that space, but it's unfinished. Uh, they, in fact, have a, a group of adults who's wanting to meet for like a, a, a grow time, a growth study on Sunday mornings that is going across the street to another building because there isn't space. They don't have occupancy in these unfinished areas. So there's a tension there. Uh, we have high school students, uh, our high school kids who are meeting in an unfinished space out in the gym. And um, we have junior high kids who are meeting in a modular unit that is in our, you have to actually go through our elementary and preschool wing to, to get there. So it's working, and we really appreciate you guys um, just sort of being willing to do this for uh, a season, but it's, it's also not ideal as we go forward. And so we feel these tensions of, of debt remaining and also these unfinished projects. And this is where the idea for the town hall meeting uh, that's happening this afternoon is coming from, that, that uh, leadership of the church, the elders, pastors, just saying, we really believe that we discern God's will best together as a congregation. That God doesn't just speak to, to leadership, that God actually speaks to every person who's, who's listening. And so want to take some time this afternoon from 4 to 5.30 at the Sand Hill Center, which is just north of Hutch on Plum, um, and and, and listen, there'll be some time of, of just talking about vision, of celebrating, but there'll be a lot of time just around tables uh, to hear from each other and to believe that God is going to lead us as we, um, as we move forward. So we'd love to have you there this afternoon from 4 to 5.30. Um, and then also, like while, while we're doing this, I think it's important to just uh, to kind of update where we ended the year on our just our, our general sort of ministry budget of the church, our, our general spending plan. Here's one of the things that makes Ignite so miraculous, is that um, the $2 million was not saying, hey, we're going to stop doing everything else and only do this, but it was all in addition to all of the ministry that we, we do all the time to worship, connect, grow, serve, and make disciples of Jesus. And, uh, and so to just like to recognize that, that as we ended 2017, we had a really strong fourth quarter. Uh, that fourth quarter giving um, was over, ahead of our expenses, by almost $11,000. And uh, while the year had, had kind of been slow and we kind of been running a deficit, we ended the year across all three campuses um, positive, almost $3,000. And so again, just I, I use that word miraculous because uh, I think it's important to celebrate the goodness in God, of God in uh, providing for his mission that he calls us to. Uh, a high point was that giving across all three campuses was up 3% from last year. So God continues to bring new people in to his mission through the church, and, uh, and, and, and so we're just we're thrilled to be a part of this. So anyhow, 
Uh, it's important. Our, our, the resources that God has entrusted to us, it's not like some like thing as like, hey, we got the real stuff of the church, you know, the ministry and worship and connect, grow, serve. And then we have money over here. It's all connected. Um, like that just as a family, we sit down and we talk about these are the resources God has entrusted to us. How are we going to best use them for kingdom purposes? We want to do this as a church. This is, so it's important stuff for us to talk about. So if you're a visitor here this morning, sorry about all that. It's good to have you here. Now we'll get into the sermon. Sound all right? So um, we are in this series called Bells. Uh, and it's this idea that the church I grew up in had this steeple on top, of the, on top of the building, and it had a bell in it, and there was this big, long rope that used to get, like, sort of strung over a hook that was just out of the reach of little boys like me. And there's a good reason, because sometimes it would get taken off the hook and get rung um, before it was supposed to, so everybody would come out of Sunday school and things like that. But some of you maybe grew up in churches like that. I, I live on the north side of Hutchinson, and there's a church just a couple blocks from us that they still have bells that ring out at, you know, different times throughout the day. And, and it's kind of a beautiful thing. But church bells in the past had been this thing that would, like, would ring out over a community or over the countryside and alert people that, hey, God's, God's people are meeting. I mean, the church is gathering. And God, God's doing something. But something has happened in my lifetime where those bells, they don't represent the same things that it did. Or people don't seem to care as much. And so, um, what, what is a church going to do? Like, do we, should we put up a steeple and start ringing a bell again to just like say, hey, we need to do this again in our community? Well, I don't think so. I don't think it's going to have the kind of impact that maybe it once did. And so this series is saying, what would happen if we became the bells? Like, if, if there was something about our lives as disciples of Jesus that was evidence to the reality that God is at work in this world and he's at work in his people. And the ways that we live, the ways we follow Jesus in the ordinary patterns of our life, they alerted people to the presence of God. And so we're talking about these five habits, five missional habits, discipleship habits. Uh, How many of you have bad habits you want to kick? Anybody? Am I the only one? How many of you have good habits you want to start? Yeah. Um, so there's this book I read a couple of years ago called The Power of Habit. Uh, show of hands while we're in the hand-raising thing. Um, how many of you have read this book? I'm really curious. Power of Habit? Anybody? Nobody. Okay, so um, I, I would recommend it. It's, it's a good read. It is not written from a Christ-centered perspective, but it, it was fascinating. Um, they said 40% of everything you do every single day is a function of habit. 40%. Think about that. How many of you remember the drive-in? How many of you consciously said, oh, I'm going to turn here, I'm going to put my blinker on, I'm going to press the brake pedal, I'm going to, you know, like shift gear. If you drive a standard like I do, you're going to like shift gears here. How many of that was like a conscious decision? How many of you just did what you always do? And hopefully you stop at the right places and go at the right places, right? And so uh, God designed our brains this way so that we can like save energy for more important things that we just <coughs> kick into sort of, um, kick into sort of automatic mode and go. But what they did uh, in this book is they identified keystone habits. These are are particular habits that we start doing that have huge impact on the rest of our life. Our whole life seems to change because we've changed this one thing, and they call it a keystone habit. Uh, It comes from this idea of a keystone in building, like these arches, where you're building these archways, and there's one stone that holds the whole thing together. 
That stone is taken out, the whole thing crumbles. But that stone, is, it, it, it impacts everything else. And there are certain habits in our lives that are called keystone habits. For example, uh, exercise is a keystone habit. Like, let's say we have this goal that says, I want to be healthier. Well, we could, we could try to, like, do that by, you know, following Howard around and just eating what he eats uh, and do things like that. We could, uh, I'll stop now, Howard. Uh, we, could, um, we could try to do all these other things, but they said there's one keystone habit that affects our health more than anything else. Anybody want to guess what it is? Exercise. Exercise. If we exercise regularly, and regularly can be just one time a week, by exercising, here are the implications. We will make better eating choices. We will smoke less, uh, be more patient, and have less credit card debt by exercise. It's crazy. This is a great motivation to come out to walking hours on Tuesday and Thursday mornings. Um, Another keystone habit for parenting and grandparenting is family mealtime. If you're, if you're asking questions about what are some of the best things I can do to disciple my children, to make sure they, they, they grow up in a place where they know they're secure and they're loved and, and they grow up to be mature, the, the, the keystone habit is family mealtime. Families that eat together regularly, kids have better homework habit, have hi, habits, have higher grades, better emotional control, and more confidence. And so I want to say this to say there are these keystone habits in our lives But we believe that these five missional habits of being people who bless others, being people who eat meals with others regularly, who listen to the Spirit, who learn from Christ, and who see themselves as being sent, that these are keystone habits in our discipleship. That we don't have to change everything. Like, we don't have to say, okay, I'm going to like, I'm going to completely reinvent my relationship with Jesus. But if we simply start doing these particular things, it is going to have huge downstream impacts on our life, on who we become, the kind of disciple of Jesus we are 5, 10, 20 years from now. Does that make sense? And so there's a reason that listen to the Spirit is right in the middle. It's because listening to the voice of the Spirit is central to all of the others. To, To be able to say, God who do you want me to bless this week? And and what does that look like? To be open to the voice of the Spirit throughout the day that that might say, um, actually, I'd like you to to buy this person's lunch. Or I'd like you to just, hey, would you send that person a text message and just tell them, hey, I'm praying for you. And say a prayer for them. That that the Spirit can just kind of speak to us and use us to bless and encourage other people. God, who do you want me to eat with this week? Who, Who do you want us to invite into our lives? Are there neighbors? Are there coworkers? Are there people I, I just need to like I, or sit with in the cafeteria? God, are there people around me in the cafeteria who I miss, but God, you're asking me to sit with them? And we learn to listen to the voice of the Spirit, and it is the central thing that changes all of these other habits. This is what we want to talk about this week. What does it mean to set time aside this week to listen to the Spirit for no other purpose than to listen to the Spirit? God wants to talk to his people. God wants to speak to us. God has designed us for first-hand encounters with God, for first-hand encounters with Him. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus is saying those, those who would follow Him, His disciples, He says, my sheep, they learn to know my voice. They, they recognize my voice. They listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So there are kind of two things in this that Jesus is saying. Like, as disciples of Jesus, one is just saying, 
We, we can learn to listen to the voice of the Spirit, to, which is the voice of Jesus. We can learn to listen. We can learn to recognize the voice of Jesus in the middle of all the other noise, the ambient noise in our world and in our own heads. How many of you know you have lots of noise in your own head most of the time, especially if you're like me, right? And we, we can learn to quiet that and recognize the voice of Jesus. But not only do we learn to listen and recognize it, but we learn to follow it. Like that when we hear a nudge, a whisper from Jesus, we actually say, okay, I'm, I'm actually going to do it. I'm going to follow through. And we learn to listen and to follow. Jesus wants to speak to us. Um, how many of you know Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible Answer Man? Does anybody listen to Hank Hanegraaff? I always thought the Bible Answer Man, like that's, a, that's an entry, like I've got the answers. But I have like, um, I have a lot of respect for Hank Hanegraaff. Uh, he is a brilliant man. He has... Um, He's been faithful to the gifts God has given him. He's, he's written lots of books, uh, reaches lots of people, and uh, yeah, just, a, just an amazing follower of Jesus. But Hank Hanegraaff, some of you may have heard, he sort of made some waves recently by leaving the evangelical church and joining the Greek Orthodox Church, or Eastern Orthodox Church. Uh, what happened to him was he went to China uh, a couple of years ago, and he was visiting these churches that look very different from churches here in the West. And he was meeting like these ordinary people, disciples of Jesus, who were in love with Jesus. They weren't in love with an idea of Jesus, with a thought of Jesus. They were in love with Jesus. And these people were infused, their lives were infused with this kind of this supernatural love for God and for other people. And as he talked with them, he realized these people have something that I don't have. And, and, like, just reflecting, I was like, I'm more educated than they are. Um, I have the Bible, like, memorized. I mean, it's large portions of the Bible memorized. Some of these people had only seen one page of Scripture in their whole lives. And I am impoverished compared to them. And so it kind of sent him reeling. Like, he said, I got back on the plane. I'm just like, God, what am I missing? How do I get the kind of loving relationship with you, firsthand experiences with you that these ordinary people have? And it sent him on this place where he actually uh, left the evangelical church and this kind of like, um, kind of really, really structured way of seeing faith. And he ended up joining the Eastern Orthodox Church. These are brothers and sisters in Christ, worship very differently than we do, um, but have roots all the way back to the early church, to the New Testament church. And the thing that drew him to the Eastern Orthodox Church was their emphasis on communion with God. That, that we can participate in the life of God, that we can commune and, and listen to the voice of the Spirit. And so his, his life has, has opened up and changed in some profound ways. God wants to speak to us. Like sometimes we think like, man, if, for me to get God to speak to me, I have to like, I have to prove to God that I'm like worthy of listening and I have to like read enough scriptures so that God knows I'm serious about it and I have to spend hours and hours praying. Like can I just tell you this morning that God wants to talk to you more than you want God to talk to you? Like, if, if you want to listen to the Spirit, then know that God wants to speak to you. His desire for you is much greater than your desire for Him. And to just know that, that, that when we open ourselves up, that the Holy Spirit is close, that God wants to meet with us. Take a look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 to 21. This teaches us something about um, God's heart for knowing us, speaking to us, but it also says something about our uh, um, our tendency to push God away. 
So God wants to meet with the people. They're at Mount Sinai. God has made a covenant with the people. And this is what happens. Now when the people saw the thunder and lightning and they heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear and they stayed at a distance. You can like underline that in your Bibles if you want to. They stayed at a distance. And they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has just come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. But the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So here is God wanting to meet with his people. Wanting to have these, these, these conversations with the people and to draw them into a relationship with himself. And what do the people do? They say, no, 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 that, there's something too scary about that. It's too mysterious about that. So here, Moses, you go and you go up the mountain, you talk to God, and then you just come back down and tell us what God said and we'll listen to you. That whole communing with God thing, that's way too scary for us. And so we have this tendency to, to sort of push men and women into this place as a mediator between God and us. And so, like, we'll say, oh, like, you as a pastor, you listen to God, and then we'll just come on Sunday mornings, and you just tell us what God says, and we'll listen to you. That's much easier than listening to the Spirit. Or our favorite authors, like, right, I love this author, and I read all of her books or all of his books, and I, my whole connection to God is secondhand. I, I, the way I listen to the voice of the Spirit is through other people. And this isn't what God wants for us. That when we do that, when we push somebody else into that place of a mediator between God and us, we give some, that person, whoever that mediator is, whether it's a pastor or an author or whatever, no matter how gifted they are, we give them a power that they don't deserve. And we also rob ourselves of the joy of firsthand experiences with God. Now there's a role for teachers, there's a role for authors. God has has raised up people and given them gifts to speak. But the very best thing, uh, pastors, authors, whoever those people who or giving voice to this, the best thing they can do is just supplement what we're already hearing from God. Does that make sense? That God wants to meet with us. So if you, if you feel this tendency to, to stay at a distance and say, no, no, I'll just listen to somebody else, please push through that. Resist it. Go into the thick darkness where God is. I love that. Um, take a look at, at Genesis chapter 18. This is, this is one of my favorite passages. Um, in, in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 18, this gives you just a, a picture of God's desire for dialogue. That God wants to actually have a conversation with human beings. So God has just revealed himself to, to Abraham over the course of years, and Abraham's still trying to figure out who is this guy? Like, what is God like? And so there's this crazy experience in Genesis 18 where, where God uh, comes to Abraham and they have a meal together. There are these like three visitors and Abraham recognizes like these are somehow, these are somehow God is present here through these people. And so, um, and then Abraham learns that they are actually going to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Like that the, the wickedness, the sin, the injustice of Sodom and Gomorrah has gotten so bad that God is going to bring judgment on the city. And Abraham has a nephew, Lot, in his family who are living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so here's what Abraham does with God. Here, uh, Genesis chapter 18, verse 23. Then God, uh, then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What, what if there's 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. 
Will not the judge of the whole earth do right? This is Abraham talking to God. And what does God say? Abraham, who are you talking to? Who do you think you're talking to? That's not what God says. Listen to what God says. The Lord said, yes, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for your sake, for their sake. So then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous is, less, is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke up to him. What if there are only 40 that are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. How many of you have been to Middle Eastern cultures where there's like this bartering system that happens? Like we have to realize this is a very sort of Middle Eastern conversation. This is the kind of dialogue Abraham and, and God have. Uh, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, uh, uh, but I will not do it if I find 30 there. And Abraham said, now that I have been so bold and to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found? There? This is like the first auction in human history, right? It's a reverse auction. Oh, 40, now 45, anybody give me 30? Um, keeps going. And then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Like, so without getting into the details of this passage, do you sense the dialogue that God wants to have with his people? The kind of conversation that's personal and intimate. Like, it's, it's a beautiful picture. Abraham is kind of the, he's, he's the prototype of faith, and this is the kind of relationship God wants us to have. Now, if we're going to, um, let me just say this. Jesus didn't give his life and send the Spirit so that we could have secondhand relationships with God. Jesus didn't give his life and send the Spirit to us so that we could have a mediator between us and God, some other human being. But Jesus did this. He gave his life and he sent the Spirit so that we could have these kind of personal first-hand encounters with God, this relationship. And if we're going to do this, if we're going to set time aside this week to just listen to the Spirit, uh, it probably means we're going to need to learn some silence and some solitude. Um... I know for some of you, that's like swearing. I'm, I apologize. Solitude? Are you kidding me? Like, to, to, to get alone? Um, Jesus, he set a pattern for this. He says Jesus would often get up early in the morning, and he would withdraw to a lonely place, go off by himself, and he would pray. Now, I don't like those verses nearly as much of him waking up early in the morning to pray as I do the ones where he stayed up all night to pray. I can get with the, like, staying up all night, getting up early, not so much. Um, but no matter whether you're a morning person and want to get up early or you, you night owl and you stay up late, Jesus sets a pattern for both of them. And, but it's, it's solitude. It's getting away. It's withdrawing to just be alone. What does it look like in your life to just say, what if I set five minutes aside this week to say I'm, I'm just going to go in the room and lock the door? Or I'm going to like uh, to, to be someplace where I'm, oh, I'm alone. I'm alone. Um, and, and to silence ourselves, to silence the ambient noise around us and to silence the noise in our, in our own lives and to just listen and learn to hear the voice of the Spirit. A couple of years ago, I, um, I mean, God, God spoke to me. God speaks to us in lots of different ways, right? God spoke to me through the local law enforcement here in South Hutch where um, in the course of a couple of months, I got pulled over two times for the same thing right here just a couple of blocks from where we're gathering. And my deal was I wasn't stopping at the stop sign at the end of Marshall. I would kind of, I felt like I was stopping. I was like, no, I stopped. I didn't stop. I would, I would kind of roll into the stop, look, make sure nothing was coming, and then just kind of roll through it. 
and turn, turn right and head north into Hutchinson. And twice in a couple of months, I, um, I got pulled over, and I realized when I'm paying fines for this, I should probably learn to stop. And it makes me say, God, what is it inside of me that feels like I don't even have time to stop at a stop sign? And I had this image of, like, my internal sort of tachometer was running at red line. Have you ever felt that way? Where it's just like, you just have to go. You have to do, do, do more. You have to move faster and harder, and you don't have time to stop and whatever. And this is, um, this is a sickness that is going around. It's catching. Right? Talk about the flu. Talk about all that stuff. This is a sickness, the sickness of speed that we have to push back against if we're going to listen to hear the voice of the Spirit, to set time aside, to say, okay, God, I need to slow down. Teach me. Teach me to stop. Um, silence and solitude. What does that look like for you? Now, I, I want to confess that for a long time, in fact, in, until pretty recently, I felt condemned because I was really bad at prayer. Like, I, I felt like a voice of condemnation because um, it's like I would try to pray and my mind, I have monkey brain, right? You're like, you start, you start to, like, quiet yourself to pray, and you just start chasing the monkey all around the room, and your thoughts just bounce from this thing to this thing. And I would, like, I would hear this voice in my head, like, can't you pray with me an hour? Right? Like, the voice of, like, you know, scolding Jesus, yelling at me. Like, apparently, no, Jesus, I can't. Right? And, and, like, I read these stories about David Livingston, who had flattened knees. They called him old camel knees because he prayed so long. I'm like, well, that's a real disciple of Jesus. And here's me. I can't even pray for two minutes because my mind just keeps bouncing around. And maybe some of you are like me. And there, there can be this heaviness and this condemnation with it. And, and so um, I don't think that's what God wants for us. And so one of the things that uh, was, has been so helpful for me in these last few years is somebody told me, when you pray, pray out loud. Just pray out loud. Put your, put your prayer into words and say them. Don't just try. There's like nothing else in our lives where we just sort of like sit with our minds and, and try to have a conversation in our minds. And so speak the words. And there's something powerful about saying the words that makes them real. And then we hear them and it reinforces it and helps us to focus on Jesus. So pray out loud. Um, find what works for you to get alone to hear the voice of Jesus. Um, there's, a, there's a practice called, on uh, the bottom of your outline, there are a couple of just real practical things. I just want to walk through them. And maybe one of these will be helpful. Maybe you have something else. Um, centering prayer. Or another way of talking about this is sitting with Jesus. Uh, and here's just a real quick version of what this is like. I have two chairs, and um, I, so I'll sit in a chair, and you just like, you get comfortable in the chair. Like, you're not like laying back, falling asleep or whatever, but you are you're sitting comfortably in the chair, and you put the other chair across from you, and you imagine Jesus sitting in the chair with you. And uh, what you'll do is you set, set an alarm. I put an alarm on my phone, and you start with like five minutes. And you make sure the alarm isn't like, ah, ah, like someone's going to wake you up in the morning, but kind of like a, a little nicer sound than that. Set it for five minutes, and, and then turn your phone off so you're not like looking at the timer the whole time. And you... Just say the name Jesus. Like just, just you, you're imagining Jesus sitting with you and you just fill your mind with this beautiful name Jesus. And when your mind wanders, and if you're like me, it'll happen between every three and five seconds, you don't condemn yourself. You just say Jesus and you just bring yourself back. Just gently bring yourself. And your mind wanders far and you let it go. It's fine. Just bring yourself back as many times as you have to to the presence of of Jesus. The goal of this kind of prayer, it isn't to make your requests known to God. It isn't like chatting Jesus' ear off. 
And it really isn't even listening to Jesus like that. Jesus probably isn't in these moments, isn't going to be chatting your, your ear off either. Be skeptical if that happens. It's probably more you than Jesus. The purpose of these is to just to fill yourself with the awareness of God's presence with you. Um, every time I do this, almost every time I do this, the first thing that happens when I, when I can kind of like quiet myself down is I become aware of how tight my chest is, how tight my shoulders are, like of just like the, the stress I'm, I'm carrying in my body. And I just feel, okay, like God, help me to just, help me to be here with you. Uh, and most of the time, there is nothing extraordinary that happens. It's five minutes. Maybe you work your way up to ten minutes. Um, and um, there's nothing extraordinary that happens. But every once in a while, like, Jesus speaks to you. And a couple of, uh, couple of months ago, I had this, I was doing this, and I'm like, maybe like four or five minutes into this, and I'm like, this is not going well. I'm like checking the timer, be like, it's got to be ten minutes already. Um, I tell you, I'm bad at this stuff. And I had this, this picture, and I don't normally like get visions, that's not how God speaks to me, but I have this picture of, of a dry, cracked ground. Of like ground that is so dry, it's like the, there are holes opening up in it. And I just felt like this is the condition of my soul in this moment. And so again, I'm not like doing much with it, I'm just saying like, Jesus, like what, what do you want to say to me? And I felt like I didn't see him or anything like that, but just had this sense that Jesus breathed on me. And like in that moment, just again, saw this dry, cracked ground begin to close up and, and that this, the, the soil of my soul was healed. And when we cultivate times when we sit and we just are present with Jesus, um, we can trust that God wants to meet with us, that God wants to. Journaling is a powerful thing. For some of us, praying is hard, so put, you put your prayer into words and to just say, uh, just, just to write them out. There's a practice called two-way journaling. You can, you can read about this in the Replicate Jesus app that the church has. Um, it's under the, the up portion of two-way journaling, of listening to what God might be saying to you as you journal back through your prayers. You can read Scripture prayerfully. Um, some of us have reading plans, you know, where you're, you're reading, trying to read through the Bible in a year, or something like that. It's fantastic. This is different. This is saying, what if we just took this passage in Exodus 20, and you just read it. And, and maybe you read it one time and you read it slowly and prayerfully and you just said, God, what do you want to say to me through this? And then you, you read it again. And you paid attention to words and images and ideas and pictures that come to your mind. And you write those down. And then you read it again and you say, God, how can I obey this? Are there things you're wanting to say to me that I need to, I need to follow you in? I need to obey you. This can be a, a great practice of listening to the voice. God speaks to us through Scripture. Take a walk. Like, uh, again, if, if you feel like, I can't sit down or my mind is going to go crazy, I have to do something, well, then do something. Get up and walk and, and pray while you walk. You might look crazy, right? You're walking, talking, praying, praying for your neighbors. Who cares, right? Um, it, it's, it's fine. Find what works for you to listen to the voice of the Spirit. Uh, don't feel locked in to the way other people listen. Don't feel locked in to the way that you've always been taught you have to listen. But find ways to get alone and to listen to the voice of the Spirit that is with you and wanting to speak. God, we really do believe that, that when we draw near to you, God, you draw near to us. In fact, Jesus, you, um, we do. We just affirm that you want to be with us more than we want to be with you. 
And so, God, for some of us, this is a regular practice. This is a habit that we've been living out for years. And I'm so grateful to be surrounded by people who hear you speak and who have grown and who lead me in these ways. God, thank you. God, continue to pour your presence into these brothers and sisters who are just way down the road from the rest of us. Thank you, God, for them. And God, for some of us, this is brand new. This is, this is hard. For some of us, we just admit we've never heard you speak to us. And so God, I, I pray that in this week, as we set aside maybe just one period of time to sit, to be with you, to listen, to go for a walk, whatever it is, God, that we would be aware that you are leaning in, that you are speaking to us. And God, we trust that there is nothing more transforming in all of our lives than to have first-hand experiences with you. Help us never to settle for a second-hand experience. Help us never to push somebody else into your presence and to, for us to listen to their words alone. But God, speak to your people, God, so that we would not be in love with an idea of you, but we would be in love with you. And this is what we pray in Jesus' name. We just want to take some time to listen this morning. And so for this song, you can either stand or stay seated. You can sing along or you can be quiet. But listen to God.